We all want joy, but sometimes, for whatever reason, joy can be hard to come by. Whether you find yourself regularly inclined to anxiety, sadness, or depression, or you're in a dark season currently, joy can feel elusive. It's even more difficult when the Bible talks so much about joy. How can Christians lack joy? We're supposed to be the most joyful people on planet Earth. The reality is, life can be hard, and joy can be hard to find. But joy is real. So, what is joy? What does it look like? How do we cultivate it? And what's the point of joy? Join Vintage Church for four weeks as we uncover what scripture has to say about this important and practical topic. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that even in the midst of suffering and sorrow, we can still experience joy and be joyful. We acknowledge that our current joy is imperfect and incomplete. May your Holy Spirit empower us to look to Jesus for perfect joy. May your Holy Spirit enable us to live for the joy of the eternal. We pray this now knowing and believing that our imperfect and incomplete joy will become perfect and complete. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. You can be seated. Well, good morning. Welcome to Vintage Church. If I've never met you before, my name is Dustin Turner. I serve as the lead pastor of Vintage Church. I hope you guys had a good week, a good Thanksgiving. I hope you're prepared to enter into this holiday season, right? None of you, now, you know, you can start listening to Christmas music and you can put your tree up and you can do all of those things that were sacrilegious up until Friday. So welcome to the holiday season. We've spent the last three weeks looking at joy in this series called the Joy Series, thinking about these questions. What is joy? How do we practice joy? What does joy look like? And today we're going to wrap it all up by answering the question, what's the point of joy? And I know thinking about that question, there's a chance that you're like, well, Dustin, that's easy. Like, we, we want to experience joy. It's not the point of joy to simply have joy and experience joy and be joyful. And I think there's some truth to that. But I also think that there's a reality that there's more to the kind of joy that we want than just we want to experience joy. There's something more to it. And maybe over the last three weeks, one of the things that's been going through your mind is thinking like one of two things. Either, okay, this kind of joy is attainable. It's something that we can get, something that we can have, something that we can receive. Or, as we've been talking about joy, you've been thinking to yourself, well, this is unattainable. There's no way we're going to get this. There's no way that we're going to have this. There's no way that this is possible in life. And what I want you to think about is I want you to think about the discontentment in searching for perfect to complete joy. Because even if you're searching and even if you're thinking about maybe that it's possible, there's also the recognition that in the midst of the challenge and the struggle of searching for that joy, you recognize you haven't quite touched and found exactly what you're looking for. 
But what I want you to think about today is that perhaps the discontentment of not having or finding that joy yet is actually showing you something. It's actually pointing to something that does exist that is real. Something that maybe we can have. That's what I want us to think about today as we're thinking about that question of what's the point of joy? Like why have joy? Why experience joy? Why be joyful in the first place? I want us to look at Philippians chapter 4. We're going to spend a little bit of time there today, and we're going to jump into some other places as well. But I think this has been a good anchor text for us to hold on to and us to meditate on together. So here's what Paul says in Philippians chapter 4. He says this, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be made known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever's true, whatever's honorable, whatever's just, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's commendable, if there's any Thing that's excellent. If there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. The word of the Lord. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. Here is the first thing that I think we should think about in answering that question of what's the point of joy. The joy of Jesus should be our joy. The joy of Jesus should be our joy. Now, you might be thinking, okay, well, yeah, I'm sure Jesus was, you know, a jolly person, a happy person, someone who found joy in life and things and people and experiences. But I actually want to take you to a passage in the book of Hebrews that speaks to Jesus having joy but actually finding joy in something that we wouldn't necessarily expect. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. The writer of Hebrews says this, he says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, that's all of Hebrews 11 and all of the examples of faith, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to who? Jesus. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Who for the what? Who for the joy. Who for the joy that was set before him endured what? The cross. Interesting, is it? Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Did, did you see what the author of Hebrews connected the joy of Jesus with? Not something that you and I would regularly think, well, yeah, joy equals what? Suffering. 
But what the author of Hebrews says is for the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross, which means a couple of things. Number one, it means Jesus knew that the cross was coming. And in fact, not only did he know the cross was coming, he looked at it with great joy. Not because Jesus wanted to suffer, but because Jesus understood that there was something more than just the suffering of the cross. That the point of the cross was more than just to suffer and die, but that there was joy on the other side of that. There was joy on the other side of that experience of suffering. And what I want you to think about is that if the joy of Jesus should be our joy, the reality is we have to recognize that our joy is imperfect. I mean, let's just think about Thanksgiving, right? You might have had this beautiful vision in your mind of, of a great day and fantastic food and family. Is not family one of the greatest joys in our lives? I say that with sarcasm in my voice, right? <laughs> you might have had this perfect day planned out. And you're thinking, today is going to be the day that I have great thanksgiving and joy. And then you get to the end of the day and you're like, wow, that didn't turn out like I thought it was going to. I don't know. Anybody just show of hands, that was my experience this year. Not my experience. I'm just, it's your experience. We're, we're with you, you know? And just, it's the reality that our joy is incomplete. Our, our joy is imperfect. The enemies of joy are real. The enemies of joy are the, the enemies of us. The devil, the flesh, the world. Paul says this in Ephesians 2. He says, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. So all the stuff that you and I think, feel, and do that is sinful, those are the things that keep us from joy. He says, following the course of this world, this, this is like the systems in our world that are a part of sin. They keep us from joy. And he says, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work and the sons of disobedience, we have an enemy. And that enemy in our world does not want us to experience the joy that God has created us for. Paul says in verse 3, Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. We have enemies to our joy. God, we already talked about this in the last few weeks. God created us for joy because joy is found in him and we are image bearers of God. Therefore, we are called to be what? Joyful. We're called to be like God. And yet in our world and in our reality, there are things that keep us from the joy that God has created us for, which on this side of things means our joy is imperfect. I mean, think about it like this. There's a sense in which you and I are growing into the kind of joy that God has created for us. You know, I don't know if any of you experienced this growing up as like a teenager, but it was like overnight you went from being like a child to a young adult and you went through this like math, massive growth spurt. It might seem obvious to you that did not happen to me. Never experienced that, so I don't know what that's like. But 
you might, have, you might have experienced that kind of growth spurt. And there's that weird, awkward phase in life where you're like growing into your body. And like every movement or every action that you do is just a little bit awkward because you don't know how to like live and walk in this body because you're, you're growing into it. And there's a sense in which we are growing into our joy, and because our joy is imperfect, there are moments in which it's, it's awkward, and it doesn't feel right, because we haven't arrived yet. We're not fully grown yet. So our joy is imperfect, but here's the reality. Our joy can be perfect. Our joy can be perfect because of who? Jesus. Jesus is where we find perfect joy. He is the embodiment of what it means to be a human. Right? When we talk about being human, we talk about being created in the image of who? God. And what the New Testament tells us is that Jesus is the perfect image of God. Which means if you want an example of what it looks like to be a human, who should you look to? Jesus. And when you look to Jesus and you see this perfect image of who God is, then what you see is a definition of what it means to have joy and be joyful. That's how our joy can be perfect. I mean, just think about the way in which Jesus described joy and how we find joy in the Gospels. Luke 15. There are three parables in Luke 15, the, the parable of the lost coin, the parable of the lost sheep, and the parable of the lost son. And I just want to point you to the parable of the lost sheep, and I want you to see some of the language that Jesus uses to talk about joy. Verse 3, so he told them this parable, what, what man of you having a hundred sheep, if he's lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that's lost until he finds it? And when he's found it, he lays it on his shoulders doing what? <laughs> Rejoicing, having great joy. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors saying to them what? Rejoice with me, throw a party, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more what? Joy in heaven. You guys don't sound all that joyful. So I tell you, there will be more what? There we go. Joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who needs no repentance. I mean, when he tells the story of the prodigal son, the lost son, what does the father do? He stops everything and he throws a party because there is great joy for God in sinners coming back to him. And part of that, I think, gets at the core of why Jesus' joy is perfect. Because he understands where joy is found. He understands what should bring joy, and he knows, as both God and man, how to have that kind of joy. When he's talking about the kingdom of God, in Matthew 13, he says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his what? Then in his joy. Was it not up there yet? Okay, I'll, I'll, 
I'll let that one slide, okay? I'll let that one slide. But you could have guessed it too. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. I mean, I don't know if you've ever experienced that kind of joy where it's like, man, and you're so excited and you have such great joy that you immediately go and do the next right thing, the thing that you know you need to do so you don't just experience that joy once, but you have it forever. That's how our joy can be made perfect. Now, in all of this, I don't think we have to skip over the reality that part of what makes our joy incomplete is the suffering and sorrow that we might experience in life. I remind you, in Hebrews chapter 12, what did we read about Jesus? For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. And what I think that teaches us is that just because there's suffering and sorrow doesn't mean there can't be joy. Partially because, number one, we receive joy from Jesus' suffering and sorrow. That is the message of the gospel. The, the place where we find the greatest joy is when we are reconciled to God, when we are made right with God, when we have a relationship with God. And if you take a moment just to think about that reality, then what you recognize is that the only way you have the kind of joy that you were created for is if Jesus finds joy in enduring the cross for your sake. Because he didn't go to the cross for his sake. He didn't die for his sins. He died for us. And so the joy that we were created to experience, this perfect joy that's only found in Jesus, part of the way we experience it is in knowing that Jesus experienced suffering and sorrow on our behalf. That he was perfect, that he put on flesh, that he came to earth, that he died, and that he rose from the grave. And that gospel message, the one where we are called to turn away from our sin and the way we've been living and in faith turn and trust Jesus, that's where we can find joy. Dane Ortland in his book, Gentle and Lowly, says like this. He says, he drew near to us. Jesus drew near to us in the incarnation so that his joy and ours could rise and fall together. His in giving mercy, ours in receiving it. But I also think the other reality on this side of eternity is that our joy is perfected through suffering and sorrow. I know, on the face of it, that seems counterintuitive. That seems backwards. That doesn't seem like that should be reality. But the kingdom of God is an upside-down kingdom. It's a kingdom that when the world is looking out at it, it doesn't make sense. But something that we, we learn and we see in Scripture time and time again is this reality that God, while he is not the cause of suffering and sorrow, he does use our suffering and sorrow for good. In his book, Path of Life, Rick Howell describes it like this. He says, Joy does not look away from suffering. 
It faces it head on without flinching and then looks through it. Suffering is not entirely opaque. It's partly transparent. Joy looks through the lens of suffering to see what God is seeking to do and exalts in this. I mean, part of the reality of this is recognizing that if God wants us to be like his son Jesus, and in being like Jesus, then we experience perfect joy, we have to remember that for the joy set before him, Jesus endured the what? The cross. Paul said it like this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. He says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We're afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Listen to how he describes this. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. See, that's where we find joy. Sometimes what we have to experience is something similar to what Jesus experienced, suffering and sorrow. And in the midst of that suffering and sorrow, God uses those challenges to purify and to shape so that we can have this perfect joy that Jesus himself has, that Jesus himself experiences. So for you and I, we should look to Jesus for joy. One of the greatest challenges, I think, in life is when we start turning to all these other things, even good things, things that God created, to find the kind of joy that we're looking for. But what Scripture teaches us, what the New Testament teaches us, is that if Jesus is the perfect joy, the place where we find perfect joy, then why do we not look to him first and foremost to find the kind of joy we've been created for? So we look to Jesus for joy. Jesus is our joy. And the joy of Jesus should be our joy. But number two... The joy of now is a foretaste of the joy eternal. The joy of now is a foretaste of the joy eternal. Just like we've been talking about how our joy is imperfect, there is a reality that we can all acknowledge that says our joy is incomplete. Like that there's a part of that joy that we experience even now that just something is missing. You get a taste of it, but it's still not quite what you're looking for or thinking about or wanting. And again, we have to go back to who the enemies of our joy are. Our sin, our flesh, the world, the devil. These things make our joy not just imperfect, but incomplete. One of the ways I thought about that this week that I know our joy is incomplete is how sometimes we feel during the holidays. If you've lost a loved one, chances are, regardless of how joyful 
a moment is at Thanksgiving or Christmas, there's a part of you that's like, you know what? There's something not quite right about this moment. Right? For my family, Thanksgiving and Christmases, those will never be the same because my granny dude is gone. For, for my family, because Rachel's mom, Jody, is gone, those Thanksgivings and those Christmases, they'll never be the same. You have a loved one, probably, chances that when you think about the holidays, you're like, man, it just isn't right without them. And part of that speaks to the reality that the kind of joy we know we've been created for, the kind of joy that we want to experience isn't complete. It's incomplete. That's part of what Paul gets at when he talks about this in 2 Corinthians 4, just a few verses from where we just read. He says, so we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away. He's talking about death. There is a reality that something is, is losing, is missing, is, is gone, is incomplete. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day for this light momentary affliction. The pain and suffering and the sorrow that we experience now is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we, not, as we look not to the things that are seen, the things that are in front of us and all the things that we experience, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. So Paul acknowledges like things aren't quite right. They're not the way that they're supposed to be. The joy that you and I want, it's incomplete. But Paul says we can't just look at the things that we know that are here, that are seen. We can't just think about the things that we have right in front of us. There's something more to it. So just as our joy is imperfect and it's made perfect, our joy is incomplete, but it can be what? Complete. Our joy will be made complete. Philippians 3, just a chapter back from where we've been reading in Philippians 4, Paul says this. He says, that I may know him. This is Paul's goal and desire in life. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection. That I may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. That by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Jesus Christ. See, Paul is, is again recognizing that like the yearning and the desire that you and I, that we have for joy it's going to be incomplete because what we are experiencing right now cannot and will not satisfy it. Because we were made for something more. We were created for an eternal joy. Something that's not transient. It's not something that doesn't just come and then go, but that lasts. 
And what Paul acknowledges in Philippians chapter 3 is that the only way to experience that kind of joy is to recognize that there's something beyond us. There's something that is beyond death. There's something that includes what Paul talks about in resurrection. So Paul acknowledges, just like the author of Hebrews acknowledged, that Jesus had to endure what? The cross. He had to endure death. He had to endure shame. But Paul also says that Jesus experienced resurrection. And that resurrection from the dead is then the very thing that brings us hope. Because in recognizing that the stuff that is transient and the things that we're experiencing that are are painful and bring sorrow to us, those things are not permanent. But Paul says there's a reality beyond all of those things that includes resurrection that brings us to the permanent things, the things that last, the things that move beyond just what we see. And Paul says the only hope that he could have and the only hope that we can kind of have to have the kind of joy that we want to experience, a joy that is complete, that lasts, is to look to the resurrection, to trust in the resurrection of Jesus, but then also to have hope and believe that just as Jesus experienced resurrection, we too will experience resurrection. The power of the gospel is, yes, in the life and death of Jesus, but it moves beyond that. It's so much more. It is in the resurrection and it is in the return of Jesus. If there's no return of Jesus, there's no resurrection for us. And therefore, the kind of life that we're looking for, that eternal life, that life that is filled with eternal joy and hope, we don't have. But if Jesus rises from the grave and Jesus returns, then we resurrect and we experience that eternal joy as well. In his commentary on Philippians, Stephen Fowle says this, and I want you to, to think about this in light of your own life. He says, joy is not so much a spontaneous emotion as a response formed in those who can read the economy of God's activity in a particular way and are able to act in conformity with that unfolding story. Joy is the appropriate response when one rightly perceives the unfolding of God's drama of salvation even in the midst of suffering in opposition. See, what he is saying is this. Every single one of us are experiencing our story. I have a story. You have a story. Chances are many of our stories intersect because we know each other and we've experienced each other. But there's a bigger story going on. That your story is not the big story. I hate to break that to you. Like, you're, Pastor Weaver shared this weeks ago. You're not the main character in your story, right? When they write the movie, you're like one of the side characters. Jesus is the main character. And you have to see your story, my story, our stories in the backdrop of the big story. 
And the big story is that God created us, and his creation is good. But in the midst of a good creation, creation has gone bad because of our sin and our disobedience. God said, listen, I've set everything up for you. Just obey me and you will have life. You'll have joy. You'll have everything that you want. Everything that you need. And we're like, no, 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 we want more. We want to be like you. So we sinned. And that sin separated us from God. And what God then did is he sent his son Jesus to earth to put on flesh, live a sinless life, go to the cross, die for our sin, rise from the grave, and then build and create the church to expand that, that story to the rest of the world. To say, you've been living your story, but let me tell you a bigger story, the story that your story fits into. And the way that this story ends is that there is a restoration. There is a return where that king that died as a suffering servant returns as a conquering king. And that when he returns, all things are made right. And we're resurrected and all things are created, recreated new. And when you understand how your story fits into that story, how your suffering and your sorrow and your moments of joy, how all of those things play into that story, you can begin to understand and see what God is doing. And in fact, without minimizing those moments of suffering and sorrow, you can hold those moments in tension with the joy that you were created for. And you can acknowledge that like, look, this wasn't fun. This wasn't good. This, this hurt. This was painful. This wasn't joyful. And yet at the same time be able to say, but I know that this is true. I know that Jesus came. I know that Jesus died. I know that Jesus rose. I know that Jesus will come again. And what that does to any experience you've ever had is it helps you see how, yes, your joy is incomplete right now, but it will be complete one day because that's what we were created for. And that's what God has redeemed us for. Live for the joy of the eternal. And I think the beauty of that challenge is that even in the moments of joy that we experience now, do you know why the moments of joy right now are so joyful? Because they have a hint and a taste of the eternal joy. That meal that you have that was just incredible, the flavors and the textures and all the stuff that you were like, that was one of the best meals I ever ate. That, that moment of community that you had with friends or the love that you have felt between a spouse or that beautiful sunset that you saw, those things that brought you joy. You know why they brought you joy? Because you caught a glimpse of what joy in eternity looks like. And you were created for that. 
You were created to long for that. C.S. Lewis, in his book, Mere Christianity, talks about this like this. He says, Creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exists. A baby feels hunger, well, there's such a thing as food. A duckling wants to swim, well, there's such a thing as water. Men feel sexual desire, well, there's such a thing as sex. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. We can be reminded that our imperfect and incomplete joy will become perfect and it will become complete. We can trust that because of Jesus and everything that he's given us. What's the point of joy? The point of joy is to be like Jesus. The point of joy is to be with Jesus forever. And so right now, we acknowledge that our joy is imperfect and incomplete, that we're not with Jesus yet, and that we're not in eternity yet, but those glimpses of joy that we experience now Help us see that we were created for so much more. Perfect joy and complete joy. Let's pray. Father, we love you. And we thank you for loving us. We thank you for the joy that you have given us to experience. The joy that we can begin to have on this side of eternity. And at the same time, Father, we acknowledge that that joy is imperfect and incomplete. But we hope and we have faith to believe that one day our joy will be made perfect and our joy will be made complete. Help us to rest in who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for our joy to be made perfect and complete. We love you. Thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining the Vintage Church NOLA podcast. If you're enjoying this content, please subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast. We'll see you next week.